yes, we want to see conviction, but we don't want your ears to be painted on. Like we don't want you to be deaf to feedback you're getting as you start to grow. Who cares? What we're looking for is the evidence that there's something great here, something to really be transformational, change the world, whatever it is. Ready to raise capital? It's time to get your dose of investment insights with the Investment Fix podcast. Brought to you by New Zealand Trade and Enterprise. Kia ora, I'm Dylan Lawrence and today we're going to be talking about venture capital. With us to talk about that are two friends of NZTE, Lavina McMurchie and Lance Wiggs. Lavina is a returning expat to New Zealand after 20 years working in some of the largest tech companies in the world. She's now a venture partner at Movac with $180 million in committed capital, realizing over $500 million of value for investors since 1998 with the likes of TradeMe and Power by Proxy. Lance is manager of the Punakaiki Fund, $55 million worth of assets, investments into over 20 companies in the six years since its launch. Some of those companies include Devoli, Timely, and Coherent Solutions. Welcome, Lavina. Welcome, Lance. Thank you both for taking the time to chat to me today. Thanks, Dylan. Great to be here. Lavina, what is venture capital for those listening? Yeah, well, to put it in simple terms, it's funding that supports a company in their very, very kind of early stages of life. And what it's about is the VC provides capital in exchange for a share of the company. That's the core of it. The VC becomes part owner of your company. And as such, the VC is sharing in some of the kind of risks and rewards of the business alongside the founder. And the VC should be then invested in the company's success and often willing to kind of lean in and help the company succeed. The good thing for a company owner is the funding doesn't then need to be paid back like a bank loan would be. But on the other hand, the company owners agreeing to give up some of the decision rights about how the company grows and the way in which it grows. Because it's really like bringing in a business partner with all the positives and negatives of having, having a business partner. And so it's quite different to something like debt funding, where in that case, the bank's main concern is to be sure that they're going to get paid back on time. But as long as they're sure of that, they're pretty agnostic around what's going on in your business. And where do they get their money from, Lance? We've got our own money in there, but the vast majority of the money that we're investing is actually coming from other people. What sort of other people kind of depends on what sort of fund you are, what stage you are. Lavina and Movac, they aim more institutional money. And for their newest fund, they've already gone out there publicly and saying they're looking for institutional money. What we did at Punakagi Fund is that we realized that we, we knew lots of retail investors. We didn't know many high net worth investors. And so we went retail, which is extraordinarily unusual. And we have over 800 individual investors in our fund who are along for the ride. Many of those are high net worth investors. The lion's share of our funding does come from that and from institutions. And we're delighted to have them for a very long journey. As Lance said, we have to go out and raise money from others. Generally, we do invest in our own funds, but 98% of the capital is other people's money. And what's important about that if you are an investee is when we raise the funds, we have to be very clear with our investors 
on what our specific mandate is, meaning the types of investments we're going to make, what stage of growth they're at, what type of risk profile we're putting in there. There may be target statements around the amount of revenue the company has to be making, the growth rates, and so on and so on. So as a VC, you're quite different to an angel where you can't invest simply because you like a company. No matter how excited you are, about the thesis or the concept behind that company. But as a professional manager, you've made a set of statements or promises to your investors on the type of investments you're going to make. And so when we sit and talk to different companies who are seeking investment, that's the frame that we come at it from. It's not just, is this a good company, but does it meet the specific investment criteria that I committed to my investors when I raised the fund. And I think that's really important to understand as you're sitting and thinking about what venture capital might be appropriate for me to really have that sort of understanding of like, well, what was the mandate that they committed and what's my fit between that VC company and my business? So just building on that, if I'm a company out there listening to this podcast and I'm thinking, what stage of my growth journey do I need to be engaging with a VC? Where is the sweet spot for venture capital, if you were to describe it? For companies that approach us, it moves. We say, you know, you've got to be at least $500,000 of revenue if you're a SaaS company, that recurring revenue. And we probably top out at about $3 million, $4 million of recurring revenue where our check sizes aren't big enough to make a material difference. Uh, whereas Movac, they switch in, mm. in their previous fund. They weren't allowed to invest at under a million. So we were able to get in when they couldn't. That would change over time, though. As we get bigger, the requirements for a company that we invest in will change. And the reason is, for a bigger fund, you need to be making investments that are material for the fund. So there's no real sense investing a few hundred thousand dollars into a company if your fund is $100 million. It's not really going to make a dent. You can say it's deal flow. There's no question about that. You're buying an option, essentially. But realistically, to make a new investment that's going to make a difference to your investors, it needs to be of a relatively significant size. I think the main point here is simply the company needs to be on a growth journey before considering VC. Because again, the core principle of how VC funding works is you're giving up some percentage of your company in return for capital to grow faster. And so what the entrepreneur is really doing is saying, look, I'll take a smaller percentage of what I think is going to be a bigger pie. Now, that transaction only makes sense if you think that your company has the opportunity to grow its pie significantly if it got more funding. That's the most important thing. Are you on a growth journey? And when VCs invest, they're usually looking for a company that across, let's say, a seven or eight year period can grow five and kind of 10 times in the space that Movac's looking at. The second point around, hey, is VC right for you, is generally you wouldn't be cash flow positive. So you're at a point where you're not yet profitable. Because from a VC point of view, we're totally fine for that, to go on that journey with you where you haven't yet got to the point where you've broken even. If you were cash flow positive, you might have other types of funding options available to you. The third thing would be we often invest in companies that don't really have a whole lot of collateral or assets that could be 
sold in the case of liquidation, where a bank funding is going to look more for that and to say, hey, is there collateral in the business that I can use to secure the funding? Whereas from a VC point of view, we're really used to tech companies where it's just software. Of course, it's valuable when the businesses are going concern, but the ability for it to kind of be resold to someone else, it's not really um, an asset from that point of view. And so if you're more of like a traditional manufacturing business, there might be other types of funding that are available to you. Whereas if you're something that's very intangible and is very software focused, then VCs really prime for that type of business. Okay. So I'm out there listening and I think, well, venture capital could be right for my business. Lance, what's the best way to engage with potential investors? How do you approach us? It's a mixed bag, to be honest. We prefer that we don't have intermediaries. Uh, such a small industry in New Zealand. Just get in touch with us directly. It's much easier. There are any number of ways you can get in touch. Pick up the phone, dial the numbers, make the call. We can filter that real quick to see whether you're in our sweet spot or not. Or email something through, a one or two pager. And we can make an assessment real fast. What I would say is we do all watch out for that entrepreneur who has the best idea in the world and doesn't want to tell anyone about it, but wants money. And... Maybe they want you to sign a non-disclosure agreement. These are really hard to negotiate because if you've got something that generally is patentable, you do want to have NDAs across everything. But in our space, given that we're growth capital, very small amounts of those funds actually are at that stage. I would encourage you to go to the return on science process. KiwiNet is another one if you're attached to a research institution because they're experts at dealing with those sorts of companies that are high RP content and no revenue. So, Lavina, if someone's approaching you to invest in their business, what do you expect from them? And what do you want to see in terms of readiness of their business? And what qualities are you looking for? I think it depends on the stage of the business. And as we move into our next fund, Fund 5, just to note that Movac will be going from pre-A and seed investment right through to Series C. So, we're very much building process for all of the different stages. So, let's say they were sort of starting out and they were looking for more that pre-A investment. What we're really looking for in that really early stage is something that's really, really disruptive and has like a large market potential. Very early businesses are going to have a ton of risk around them anyway. And so we look for something that if it's going to be successful, there's some defensibility, you know, about it. Having a strong intellectual property position or some other type of moat around the business is important. And generally, we want there to be limited technology risk, meaning the tech itself, we'd like it to be working already and there not to be a ton of risk around, is the idea actually kind of feasible and practical? But where we're willing to accept risk is on the commercial side. For example, an early company may not have figured out what segment in the market they want to pursue. They probably don't know how they want to package or price their product. They probably don't have a proven sales model either. But if we look at it and say, you know, what a great idea and there's a potential if that thing works, that it's going to be like 30 times returns, then that's sort of business that, you know, we, we're really interested in. The founder's also extremely important at that phase because that person's absolutely going to be carrying that thing on their shoulders. So the founder that sort of lives and breathes the idea and has that real pioneering mentality because they're going to need to get the company through kind of many, many iterations on the way to commercial success. Like a really good example from our portfolio of a company that looked like that, Power by Proxy. They basically commercialized wireless recharging technology. It was eventually bought by Apple. 
And I think we invested $10 million in capital across about four rounds of funding. But when we invested, what we knew is the actual technology, the wireless recharging worked, but for the first several years, it wasn't really that clear what would be kind of the biggest possible market opportunity. Should it be vertically integrated into an actual product that we sold? Should it be a platform technology? And if it was a platform technology, then what specific verticals were important to address as the product got further developed? And, you know, frankly, it took years to get that right. But when we looked at it, we sort of never lost sight of the fact that Power by Proxy had 300 patents under its name and that ultimately that idea of consumers being free from having to plug their devices in to charge them, that was a no-brainer. What well, I say, the glass has to be half full. You know there are going to be problems. You just don't have yeah. time when you're two people to write patents or check your trademark. Over half the companies we've invested in have changed their name or the name of the brand that they sell because you know, there were issues. Who cares? What we're looking for is the evidence that there's something great here, something to really be transformational, change the world, whatever it is. The other thing with founders I'd just build on as well is we look for founders who can learn. As Olivia said, it's a long journey. Classic example is a high net worth individual who built a company, Bill Gates, Sam Walken here in New Zealand. These folks didn't know diddly when they started about running a business, but they learned. And they learned at a really incredible rate. That's a great call. And just from my time at Amazon, actually, that's one thing I sort of took away from Jeff Bezos. You know, Amazon does a lot of investment in kind of new initiatives and new businesses. And that's the one thing that Jeff Bezos emphasizes. It's okay to fail. It's the rate at which you're learning. And I'd been on the back of some projects at Amazon that didn't work very well. And where you'd get in trouble wasn't because you didn't deliver the results. It was because you couldn't come back and say, here's the thing that we took away and how we're going to do it differently going forward. And so I think that ability to learn, I, I'm with you there. It's absolutely critical. You think about being an early stage entrepreneur, what we sometimes expect is that conviction, that visionary leader that can see the future. And yet what Lance and I are saying is, oh, but you, you, you should also be good at learning, pivoting and listening. And you do actually need to have both, right? Like, yes, we want to see conviction, but we don't want your ears to be painted on. Like, we don't want you to be deaf to feedback you're getting as you start to grow, because you will have to pivot a lot in getting to that sort of product market fit. And so I just sort of emphasize both of those. Be strong in your idea, but not so strong that you aren't willing to take signals that will help you learn and grow. That balance is very hard to achieve, actually, in an entrepreneur. That's a great point. And so I guess that sort of leads to what questions should companies or founders be asking a VC before bringing them on as an investment partner? So it's brand and values under the surface, like what they really are like. And the other thing you'd look for is what I'd call time on task. Like all VCs will say, we add value, we're there to help you but how many people are there and how much time do they really have to spend with my company? How many companies do they have relative to the amount of people that they can bring to bear on your company? It shows you that sort of time on task. All founders start out thinking their company is going to be awesome, but we can tell you many, many cases where the company that ends up being awesome has many, many different setbacks along the way. And so I think being a founder by definition means you're going to hit times in your life where you are struggling. And so that question of how will you help me if I hit those periods where I'm really struggling, that's critical. Many entrepreneurs focus probably disproportionately on the brand of the VC. Like, is it 
kind of a big name that you know other founders would think was cool. And they also focus a lot on company valuation, which VC is valuing my company the highest. And how they value you has a very specific meaning to a VC. What it means is whatever that number is that we gave you, you should grow 10 times that. And the flip side of feeling great about a VC company giving you a high valuation is if you can't grow at the rate that them and their LPs are expecting you to. And that's why this question of like, how will you support me if things get tough becomes so important? Because if a VC company doesn't have a good reputation for helping you succeed when you hit those rough spots, well, that's not a great place to be, despite whatever they valued at when they came in and invested. There's two things I'd had. One is it's a tough journey, right? Being a founder is hard. There are tough days, tough years, tough two or three year periods. And, uh, you know, obviously we've been going through one recently. The other one that's really important is that investors want to make money. So I call it the exit conversation. You, some stage you're going to have an exit mm, conversation yeah. on your investment journey. The traditional VC funds, everyone except for us really, want to sell the company. We kind of do too, but we see that you're going to make more money by growing for a very, very long time. And you need to be aligned on that. If you want to build something for the next 40 years, venture capital may not be for you because the traditional venture capitalist wants to sell the business or exit the business, IPO, sell it to a trade buyer, that sort of thing, so they can take that money and pay it back to the investors and clip the ticket along the way. Uh, so just be careful that you've got alignment between what you're trying to do and what the venture capital investor is trying to do. Hey, tell us a really good investment experience you've had at Punakaiki or Movac. Why was it good? And what are the key takeaways for investees? Let's talk about Weirdly. We invested in them very early on and they were very low revenue, positive revenue, but low revenue. We gave them a little bit of cash. And then over the two or three years after that, they evolved their product in a couple of different directions. They changed their team a little. We gave them two or three or four more rounds, uh, relatively small amounts of cash. And we, we ended up with 30% of the company, which was a position we were quite uncomfortable with. It was quite a high percentage for such an early stage company. And then when we came to the end of last year, we started talking about a more substantial round because suddenly they hit their straps since the end of March last year until say the end of March this year. I think they tripled their revenue. They signed up for a different class of customer over that time. They provided an evolved product, which was a fantastic experience for their customers. And so we were able to put together a round with a couple of other investors to give them a much more substantial investment which was a true Series A, I guess, or even a pre-Series A, if you use the two million definition, so that they could really put the hammer down and invest in that growth. It's a typical story in that there were some really challenging times in there. There were times when the founders weren't paying themselves anything, when people were on low salaries, when we had to reduce staff. Uh, and there were times when we had money, we got other investors to come in and we're able to accelerate. We're now in that high growth phase and we're really looking forward to a positive future. I think that it does talk a lot to the idea that we're in it together. And the joy in this job is in watching the founders learn and grow companies and employ people. So we have hundreds of people that are employed now across our own portfolio that exist in companies that otherwise wouldn't exist without some sort of external funding in most cases. 
I think sometimes, you know, in the sort of general media, I don't know if VCs are always sort of painted with the nicest possible light, but I think that in New Zealand, most people in VC really genuinely believe in sort of the importance of sort of economic development and the role VCs playing in economic development here. And it is somewhat of a calling <laughs> to be here. And we do it because we do want to help and we love it. I mean, it's a fun job. In terms of a good experience that Movax had, the one would probably call out as a rower 11 years ago when Brian Ward as the CEO came with this sort of business plan. Movac had done one or two investments in biotech and not done all that well with them actually, but we'd learned how hard the segment was. We learned a bit about FDA processes. We learned a lot about the amount of capital that's really needed to sort of make these businesses successful. So we kind of knew enough to be able to evaluate it and to sort of feel confident that we knew you know, what the sort of tough bits would be and that we could kind of face them. And Brian was incredible. Like he had this sort of deeply technical background that you want, but he was also very articulate. He had an MBA, he'd worked in business. He'd been head of biotech New Zealand. So he really understood the industry trends. And if you don't know Aroa, they basically do wound care where they make wound care solutions using sheep stomachs, right? And so what he could see in the position of being head of biotech New Zealand with these trends and moving away from synthetic solutions to biological solutions. He had a really good network of highly specialized people. So we knew that when he founded this company, he'd quickly be able to get like highly specialized people recruited really quickly. There's a good patent in there, quite broad in terms of a patent for creating wound solutions from any animal with a four stomach. So it covered sheep and cows. And they had this wonderful link to New Zealand. We have a lot of sheep and cows, I'm sure you've noticed. So we had like a source of sort of really cheap ingredients. So there was a lot in there. In terms of the success, why that was so much fun to do was because I think Brian, again, did treat it very much as a partnership. He was like an open book. He was a real problem solver. If he needed help, he'd ask for it. He wasn't sort of defensive. And so that relationship, like it is really important because you go to war together. We probably with that company had three or four major, major setbacks along the last 11 years. It's not all growth and roses. And we sort of look at where that company is today. It's hired 150 people, mainly in New Zealand. So it's bought bought jobs to our economy, a lot of technical people as well as production employees. So kind of across the economic range. And at the end of the day, you know, we heal people with stuff that dissolves into your body and encourages your wounds to get better. And so you can just feel really great about what you're doing for the country, you know, for the patient. And it's been this wonderful journey with a sort of a special founder. So I think as we kind of look forward, like if we had, you know, more chances to find companies like that, you know, that's again, what gets us up out of bed every morning to go on the search. Okay. I'm after one piece of advice now to companies seeking investment. What would your one piece of advice be in the current climate? Be a great company. It sounds ridiculous, Mm -hmm. but I always go back to revenue. If you've got revenue and you're growing it quickly, it's really hard for a venture capitalist to ignore that. At the same time, in this market today, there are two things going on. One is we've got a global depression, in my perspective, that people aren't really talking about. But, you know, the lack of confidence, even in New Zealand, where it seems like we're on top of this COVID-19, the lack of confidence that, that will drive the lack of business is incredible. And it's much, much worse internationally. So have revenue, control your costs so that you don't have to raise money. 
and uh, it's going to be a much more interesting conversation, I guess, with the venture capitalists. One piece of advice is hard, but if I think about how the environment's changed, it's accelerated a lot of things that were happening already. Move to automation, move to digital. I think what it's changed, though, is you don't want to be a marginal business. Good businesses got funded before, and they're going to get funded in the future. But if you're sitting on the margins where you're kind of like number four or five player in a space that there's already kind of a lot of leaders or maybe where you're delivering something to companies that's a nice to have as opposed to a need to have, I think that it becomes very, very difficult to get funding. Don't worry about what business you had going into COVID. It doesn't actually matter. Think about what business you want to have coming out of COVID. Now is a time for you to say, hey, I can reshape my business. I can take this opportunity to make sure that I have the business that I want to have in a year as opposed to the one that I built. So make sure that you have the business that you want before you sort of approach investment. Thank you. So, hey, let's finish on a high. What exciting investment opportunities do you see on the horizon? Maybe, Lance, I'll throw to you first. Look, New Zealand is fantastic at growing uh, high-tech businesses that serve the world. You have to export from New Zealand. We are very intrinsically frugal, smart, and very well-educated and good at learning other cultures, empathetic. And what we've turned out to be really good at is essentially what Zero does, which is business to business, selling to relatively small businesses, but aggregate them together and they become a large one. So I'd go back to what Professor Callahan said before he passed away, that we are very good at global niches. It could be something quite random, but focus on a global niche where the demand is the tighter the better in some ways, where you can own your own global space and then move slightly outwards from there. Lavina, what about you? What exciting opportunities do you see on the horizon? I think overall, I just emphasize, this is a great time to start a business. When you look at history and you look at the businesses that were founded in the GFC, you know, in the US, like an Uber or an Airbnb, or if we look to our portfolio and say what businesses that were successful that we invested in were founded in the GFC, you know, Green Button, Power by Proxy, you know, Unleashed, Fend, all, all of these companies, you know, came, came out of the recession. So generally, it's just a really good time to start businesses. In terms of what are we interested in, we see the trend to everything digital as accelerating. We think maybe there's a little bit of a move away from international supply change, which I think drives a lot of automation as work comes home. So anything that's about automation or robotics is interesting. We continue to like SaaS businesses. And I think, you know, Lance's point on those niches where it's not such a massive niche that it's got a lot of other companies from other you know, nations chasing it, but it's big enough to really be exciting. In our portfolio, I think of a company like Track Plus that is sort of like the world leader in communications and monitoring for you know, firefighting and other types of first responder situations as being a great example of that. You know, Pushpay, the company that I'm on the board for, is sort of another example where it's really a fintech company focused on you know large churches in, in America. So I think SaaS that's vertically oriented is very interesting. But we would also say we, we continue to be really excited by different types of deep tech, clean tech, med tech. How can we take the kind of great IP that's being developed in New Zealand, both inside and outside the universities, and see that become commercialized into you know really world leading businesses? Fantastic. 
Lance, Lavina, thanks for joining me today to talk about venture capital as an investment class. I think we've canvassed a broad range in our time, but in essence, professional investors looking for businesses on a growth journey, not necessarily cash flow positive yet. And venture capital investors are glass half full <laughs> in, in mindset, and they're looking for founders who can learn. And we've also talked about remembering to avoid those vanity metrics. Thank you both for your time. Thanks. Thanks, Dylan. That was your investment fix from NZTE. For a bigger financial fix, head to investnewzealand.nz.